morning. He's stuck perseverating that chorus. I'm going to call Carolyn for my word of the day. <clears throat> I almost feel like we don't need to do anything else. We just need to sit here and just be peaceful and present. But you guys paid for a show, so let's get going. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you. We thank you for being good. We thank you for being present. We thank you for filling our hearts with peace. And we thank you, Father, for the, the atmosphere here to just be thick with your presence, Father. We thank you for your peace to rest on our hearts and on our minds today so that your word can speak to us sweetly. In Jesus Christ's name. As disciples, we have committed to following our leader, Jesus Christ. And followers have to be ready to learn, and they have to be willing to learn. And so that requires attention. Sometimes it's not easy to change, and it's not easy to learn, or it's not easy to start doing something new. It can be difficult, it can be uncomfortable. But sometimes we're just not attentive, and so we miss the opportunity to learn and, as a result, grow and improve. And so this morning, I would ask that as we start to look in, into God's Word, that we stay attentive to the opportunity to learn and allow the Spirit of the Lord to teach us so that we can improve as disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, can I get a show of hands of people that are using an analog Bible? We're going to be in the Bible today reading verses. So if you don't have a digital copy, let me see hands. Who, who, needs, a, who needs a Bible, first of all? Anybody? We're good? People came to church with Bibles? Way to go. Good on you. <laughs> Guys at home, I know you've got a computer, so let's, think, let's use that. If you have an analog Bible and you're not comfortable with where books of the Bible are, people in this room are, feel free to just huddle up next to somebody. They're going to get you through it, okay? If you guys have any questions, feel free to stop me. I don't want you to get lost. This is important stuff today. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, first book of the Gospels in the New Testament. And we're going to chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at the Beatitudes. So I'm going to start by reading... Um, through this section of scripture called the Beatitudes, and then we're going to delve into each one of these a little specifically, okay? So, chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. Jesus Christ, seeing the crowds, went up onto the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples, the followers, okay? The followers is a broad, uh, a broad stroke, okay? That's not specific 12 people. Those are the apostles. The disciples were just everybody else that followed him, okay? In this room, disciples, okay? So just imagine yourself. You're, you're there. You're on the mountains. He's talking. Okay, here we go. He sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you revi- when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now the word beatitude comes from the Latin word beatus. I think that's how you pronounce it, but nobody speaks Latin, so it's hard to say. Um, which just means blessed. Okay, the section of scripture is called the Beatitudes, not because that's what Jesus Christ called it, but because when the Bible was written, they saw this section of scripture that all start, all, all the ideas and thoughts in this scripture started with blessed, and so they called it blessed. But these verses are more than simply just identifiers for blessed people. See, the Beatitudes provide a framework of, uh, for the attitude of being. So when we say Beatitudes, I mean be, like the word be hyphen attitude, okay, be attitude. It's the attitude of being that we're going to look at today. How many, of know, how many of you know attitudes are contagious? Yeah. For those of you on the internet, every hand just went up. Attitudes are contagious. And I'll, tell, I'll give you an example, but you've, you've likely experienced this. You have walked into a room full of frustrated people and immediately felt it without anybody saying a word, right? Contrary, you've walked into a room full of excited people and have felt that excitement and it maybe has changed the way that you are acting, right? You walk into a room, you're not quite so sure what you're going to expect, see a bunch of people hanging out, having fun, cutting loose, like here, right? And you're like, oh, well, this is a cool place. This is safe to be here. All right, yeah, right on. All right, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then you start to kind of get excited, right? Attitudes are contagious. More than a temporary or circumstantial feeling of happiness, blessed is the state of well-being in a relationship to God that belongs to those who respond as disciples to Jesus Christ. That is what blessed means. That's the definition of blessed. It's more than just happiness for a moment, okay? It is a a function. It is a way of of being, these the Beatitudes are not conditions for entering the kingdom, but rather proclamations for those who have entered the kingdom. So as we read these and we identify these blessed sub, uh, subsets of people, count yourself among these, okay? You are blessed because you are in the kingdom of the Lord right now. All right, so let's look at each one of these in, in a little bit of detail. We'll go back to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are the poor in spirit. This has nothing to do with financial poverty or class status. Jesus Christ is highlighting those that would recognize the need for God's help. Those people that are conscious of their spiritual need, which is an excellent way, really, to begin talking about blessed people, right? Let's just start with a foundation for teaching people about being blessed and let's, let's highlight that those that recognize that they need help are blessed. Okay, because while being great on your own merit is good, it's never going to be as great as being great with God. Right? Does that make sense? We tracking? Okay, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people that realize greater is with God than greater is by me. Amen? Good. People that are willing to recognize that in their own life to them, to those blessed, belongs the kingdom of heaven. 
verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I always struggled with this, and for a while, I wanted to teach about these things for a long time because I understand them as a framework, but this one hung me up forever because it kind of sounds dark, right? Like, blessed are those who mourn. It's not why I'm wearing black today, by the way. Uh, That's just coincidence. That's right. (laughs) That's just uniform. That's right. Um, So, blessed, blessed are those who mourn. I'm like, God, I don't understand this at all. So, you know, as, as God promises, right, those who ask for wisdom will receive it liberally. So I did. I asked for wisdom. God, explain this to me. Show, me. show me out of the scriptures what this means. So I start by defining a word because that helps me. So to, to mourn is to lament. But what are we lamenting, right? You can lament the loss of a person, and then, yes, you're mourning. You can lament the loss of an item, and then, yes, you're mourning, right? You know, like, I lost my car, and that's kind of a bummer. You can lament over things like that. But what this is talking about in the context of these verses is to recognize a sin, a fault, a shortcoming, or a miss, and long for forgiveness and healing. It is a desire to be made whole. So when we mourn, it is because we want to be made whole. We were in a position of of right standing with God, and then something happened, and now we're separate from that, and we need to get back. And there's this mourning that, oh my God, I I just need to get back. 1 John 1, 6, to the right of your Bible. says, If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and practice not the truth. Okay, what is God? Light. How much darkness is in light? None. <clears throat> is sin light or dark? Dark. Okay. So if we sin and we don't acknowledge it, can we be in league with light? No, because inherently sin is darkness. And if we sin, we have darkness, right? That does not make us, that's not who we are. Okay, just let me put that out there. You, it, sin does not define you. Jesus Christ has defined you. Now, sin happens, and we have to get over that, and that's what this is all about, okay? If we claim to not have sin, and there is sin, we lie, and we cannot be in league with our Father. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter nine, or chapter 7. It's uh, to the left. Second Corinthians, chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 9. Paul writes, As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief is that lamenting. It is that mourning. It is that thing that drives you to go back to the righteous place. It is that thing that drives you to seek reconciliation with God. Psalm 147.3 says that God is the binder of our wounds. If I had a broken arm and I put on a tough face, do I still have a broken arm? Yeah. If I don't tell anybody about it and I don't do anything to fix it, is the broken arm going to fix itself? No, it's not. Neither will a sin that goes unrecognized and unaddressed. When there is sin in our life, a thought, a word, an action that is contrary to the will of God, 
we cannot tough face through it. We cannot afford to pretend like there isn't sin when there is. So we address it. And then God promises to comfort. They will be comforted. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That word comforted is to call near, and it's to use a kind of speaking that produces a particular effect, and the particular effect is exhortation and encouragement. God wants to strengthen you in consolation, but he can't do that if you don't talk. If you're unwilling to recognize the problem, there can be no, no strength in consolation. When we desire that rightness with God, when we desire to be right with God, 1 John 1, 9 says that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So if he's faithful and just to forgive us, when we acknowledge it and we're cleansed, then the result is what? Clean slate, start over. That's right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All right, back to Matthew chapter 5. If you've got one of the strings in, a, in these Bibles, you should use it right there at Matthew 5. Or a pen. We're coming back here a lot. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is being gentle, enduring all things. And not just enduring all things, but enduring all things with an even temper. It is an attitude of tenderness. Now, we should not confuse this with living like a doormat. That's not what this means. Meekness is not being uh, a pushover, allowed to steam, be steamrolled into anything that somebody else desires. Jesus Christ never allowed himself to be steamrolled or taken advantage of, and you should not either. It's not what the scripture is saying. But it is saying that blessed are the meek. Blessed are the people that endure things with an even temper and a tender attitude. So let's look at that. The book of Matthew is full of instances where Jesus Christ does this very thing. He personifies tenderness with an even temper. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. In verse 23, when he, Jesus Christ, got into the boat... His disciples followed him. Remember, we're the disciples, right? We're following, okay? That's just, it's a group of people that got on a boat after him. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there, were, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they, went to, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, O Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, You idiots! Why did you wake me up? No? No, he didn't. Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? For, for seven cha six chapters, these guys have been following Jesus Christ, seeing him do awesome things, and now they're, they're, they're a little shaken. But does, does that affect how Jesus Christ responds to them? Not at all. Tenderness, meekness. Ready? Here it comes. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. He didn't read them the riot act. He didn't tell them all the ways they messed up. He didn't hang it over their heads that they failed again. He just did what had to be done and then went back to sleep. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 
And that's Jesus past. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things, Jesus, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. He didn't say, No, I'm too busy. He just rose and followed him. And his disciples followed. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Verse 22, Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And Jesus came to the ruler's house. So <laughs> why, not why did you touch me? Not how dare you, right? Take heart, daughter. It's pretty common now for us to call each other, you know, brother and sister and, you know, treat each other like family. We are, right? And generally speaking, you can go just about anywhere and use the word bro and, and people kind of accept that. But it wasn't always like that. You know, calling someone daughter when they're not your daughter would endear them on a level that would be maybe uncomfortable to the other person. But Jesus Christ did that very thing. Daughter. Just brought her right into the family. <laughs> Your faith has made you well. Just tender. Tender as the day is long. Verse 22. Uh, no, 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead but sleeping. So they had already started the funeral procession. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. She's just asleep, guys. <laughs> and they laughed at him. Now, I don't remember exactly the last time I was laughed at, but I definitely, I know just because I know me, my attitude from then on would have just been very callous. And whatever I was going to do likely got distracted from, and I didn't do it or just immediately didn't want to do it. But not Jesus Christ, right? Whole group of people laugh at him, treat him like an idiot, and here we go. The crowd had been put outside, and he went in and took the girl by the hand, and the girl arose. He didn't even address these people. As I read these records, I see what tenderness looks like. Jesus Christ knew who he was, and it could have been so easy for him to be short-tempered and rigid, to not do what was asked of him, to not help to not calm the storm, to just be like, figure it out, guys. When, Paul, when Peter walked on the water and he said, Lord, help, he had been walking on water. He was successful in walking. Then he was not successful. And he said, help me, Lord. And, the, and Jesus Christ didn't go, well, you're a fisherman. You should know how to swim. See you back at the boat, right? He didn't, he didn't, let, he didn't just stand there and go, come, you got this. Come on, get, get back up on your legs. You, you, you can walk. No, he reached down and he grabbed him and he pulled him up. Immediately, it says. Immediately, he grabbed his hand and he pulled him up. He was never, never rigid, never short-tempered. And even when he was questioned about his authority, or worse, disobeyed by his, or disbelieved by his, his disciples, his replies were gentle and enduring with an even temper. Jesus Christ is the model of meekness. And they shall inherit the earth. Quite literally, this means that Jesus Christ was saying, you will be appointed the abode of men and animals. 
That's the, when, when he says you'll inherit the earth, that's what it means. So the meek, not the rash, not the self-entitled, the gentle, the tender members of God's kingdom that are able to endure all things with that even temper. They shall be the ones appointed to the abode of men and animals. Number four, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now this hunger is more than like a peckish feeling. Okay? In an hour, Laura, we're going to be at home or so, an hour or so. Laura's going to offer to make the boys lunch, and then she's going to say, Stephen, do you want me to make anything? And, and yeah, I mean, I could eat, but am I hungry? Probably not. <laughs> Will I be willing to eat a salad? Like, that's my benchmark for hunger. Like, how hungry am I really? Like, would I eat a salad right now? If yes, then I'm hungry. If not, then I'm going to hold off. Get something else. Eat in a little bit. And we've all been that kind of hungry, right? We're like, we're willing to take a couple saltines and ketchup and call it a sandwich because we're just hungry, right? That like longing for food, got to get something in this right now or things are going to go sideways so fast. That longing for food, that same intensity and desire for sustenance is exactly what's being talked about here. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness means we will, are willing to do whatever it takes in the pursuit of righteousness. And righteousness is the doing or being of a just or right thing. Um, there's a biblical dictionary that defines it this way. The character and acts of a man or woman commanded, by, commanded and approved by God in virtue of which the man or woman corresponds with him, God, and his will and his ideal as his standard. It signifies the sum total of all that God commands and approves. As such, righteousness is not only what God demands, but what he gives to a man. It is a life directed by God, lived with integrity, virtue, and purity in thinking, feeling, and action. That is what righteousness is. And the people that desire to go after that thing with brutal uh, uh, intent, right, are called blessed. And they shall be satisfied. Not might be satisfied, not could be satisfied, shall be. It's very, in, it, when, when you go after the things of the Lord, he is honored, he's going to honor that 100% of the time, every time. <laughs> blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be satisfied. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is compassion towards another person without regard. The word merciful is used two times in the whole of the Bible, once here in Matthew and once in Hebrews. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to read this second instance of this, this word. Hebrews to the right, almost to the end, but not quite. We're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, we're going to read the whole chapter. Here we go. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just ret- retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great a salvation? It was declared by the first 
it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by us who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. <laughs> sounds like me. I know somewhere in the Bible it, sounds, it says this. It's like, come by it honestly. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels, for you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have the one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you of your names to, I will tell you, I will tell of your names to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, and I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those things through the fear of death, though the fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That means people. Therefore, he had, Jesus Christ, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make recompense or repayment for the sins of the people. Okay, so this, this merciful, right, this compassion without regard that, we, that Jesus Christ instructed people to have, the only other time it's mentioned is when Jesus Christ did that very thing to act as an intercessor between us and God to make us clean. Jesus Christ acted compassionately without regard for us so that we could be clean before God. Is that landing? Do we understand the importance of that? That Jesus Christ's compassion was without regard to the things that we have ever said or done that are blatantly contrary to the things of God. When I was the biggest of jerks, Jesus Christ didn't care. He still did it so that I could be before my God, holy and without blame. <laughs> the attitude of being merciful. Right? <laughs> this is what it looks like in application. Go to John, the, the book of John. <laughs> in 13.
Okay. Everybody knows who Judas Iscariot is, right? Yeah, he's a guy that sold Jesus. Just sent him right down the river. Okay, check this out. Chapter 13, before the feast of the Passover, uh, verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Guess who is at that supper? Judas Iscariot. Before it happened, Jesus Christ is documented as loving them till the end. That is what me, uh, uh, mercy looks like. That's what mercifulness looks like. Compassion for a person beyond their action, without regard. He loved them to the end. Blessed are those are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God knows I need it, so. Uh, back to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 8. Beatitude number 6. Here we go. Ready? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be blessed, or to be, I'm sorry, to be pure in heart means untouched from everything that would change or corrupt the nature of its subject. To be clean and free from every stain, odor, or color, or useless thing. Now, how do you suppose something like that happens? Like, we're, okay, this is, now, now we're starting to get up there. Like, Jesus Christ is kind of raising stakes, you know, as we go through each one of these. And now we're at a point where blessed are the pure in heart. How am I supposed to do that? <laughs> how am I supposed to live free from anything that would corrupt my nature? 1 John 1.7. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. It says, you know what? It's going to take me a while to get there now because... I said you didn't have to go there, so. First John 1, verse 7. It says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5. We're gonna st- I'm gonna stitch a couple verses here together, and we're just gonna I'll, we'll talk through this. Five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So cleansed by the blood of Christ, and new in Christ. Then let me ask, what is there holding you back from living pure? Right? If everything that would have already stained has already been removed by the blood of Christ, is it impossible to live pure with a pure heart? Absolutely not. When you are a new creation, you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleansed, clean from every stain, from every odor, from every color or useless thing whatsoever. Free from every false adornment. That's what cleansed means. In Romans 12, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. To be taken from one thing to another. To be a new creation means you are not an old creation buffed up. You are a new creation. Altogether, totally different. New parts, not not polished parts, new parts. People are going to see you and see the transformation in your life because of Jesus Christ. And they're going to know the perfect will of God. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When you look in the mirror and you see a life that is wholly transformed in Christ, what are you looking at? Looking at, bro? <laughs> you're looking at God. You're looking at the reflection of God's nature in you, and that is pure. Matthew 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace is a rest. It's a state in contrast to strife. It is freedom and freedom from disturbance. Um, in John, go to John chapter 14. John 14, verse 26, Jesus Christ says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus left his peace. Just prior to being arrested and crucified, he's with his disciples, he's eaten with them, He has given and displayed their final instructions to love one another. And then he's explained that he's going away. And he, his parting peace is peace. Peace is what would allow the disciples to continue to do what they'd been instructed to do. And peace has been left to us. There is not a situation that we can't walk into and immediately inject peace. Uh, Matthew 26. <laughs> you know. Verse 47. People got a knack for interrupting Jesus Christ. While he was still speaking, Judas came in, and one of the twelve with him, and a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, this one I will, uh, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And then he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they that came up and laid his hands on Jesus seized him. And behold, one of those that were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then it was a rumble, right? Like jets? And, no? Not? This is my greasers. Come on, guys. I love you. No, it wasn't a rumble. What did Jesus Christ do? He took a situation that was completely volatile and he injected peace. He said to him, put, put your sword back in its place. For all who will take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I can't appeal to my Father, and he will not at once send twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? Right? Now I know if I'm in a group of people and I'm following my leader, there's a level of devotion there that's pretty strong. And so if I see a crew walking in with clubs and swords, I'm immediately looking for table legs to break off to use as a club. You can guarantee that someone in that group was doing that exact thing, for sure. 
They saw, as soon as they saw a club, they're like, oh, it's on. <laughs> it, we're, we're, this is it. That's how it goes down. Okay. And so they're busting the legs off of tables. And Jesus Christ, no, 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 no. We don't need to go there. First of all, come on. Son of God. Twelve of these angels. Right? Look it up. But he's more focused on the bigger picture. And he injects peace into this situation. He is a peacemaker. He makes peace and, and claims that situation. He then heals the servant, puts his ear back on. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and become a member of God's kingdom, we receive the gift of Holy Spirit. And one of the byproducts of that Holy Spirit is peace. In Galatians 5.22, you don't have to turn there. It says, the fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And to those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desire. So, right, anything that is contrary to that fruit of the Spirit, we can discard and walk in that fruit instead. So, to be a peacemaker... Not actually that hard and totally something within your wheelhouse. That's a wheelhouse workout right there. Injecting peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will, for they will be called the sons of God. Last one. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 10. Blessed are those who, perse- who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. We are fortunate that in the United States we have an unalienable right to freedom. We can believe with our whole heart whatever we want, and our government um, will protect us from oppression for those, based on those beliefs. But that is not the case in some places. Now, I pray that we will continue to live this way, comfortably, and able to speak about Jesus Christ whenever we want. But if the tables were to turn tomorrow, and it were to become punishable to preach, would we remember that those that are punished for doing so, that are punished for doing right, are blessed? There are people in that position today, and I'm thankful that God will recognize those people and that they will be blessed, that they will be in a state of well-being and relationship with God because the kingdom is theirs. And I'm thankful for that reassurance on their behalf. The Beatitudes are more (laughs) than just a temporary circumstantial feeling of happiness. They are a blessing. Blessed is the state of well-being and relationship to God that belongs to those who respond as a disciple of Jesus Christ. These are not conditions for entering the kingdom, but rather proclamations for those that have entered. Attitudes are contagious, so go be contagious. God bless you. Father, we sure thank you for your day, and we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you, God, that this framework is functional and executable and that you have equipped us to do it, Father. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we just ask for greater understanding and greater ability to execute these attitudes of being in our lives. Thank you, Father, that we can be a good representation of your kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you. I love you.